0: The word of God set before us today is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 25. Hebrews 10, starting in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near.
1: Let's pray My Father, technology is a gift from you, but it's actually not necessary. As we were worshiping today, Lord, I was thinking back to the day when Paul and Silas were caught in a prison and there they sang songs together and they didn't have any PowerPoint and they didn't need any instruments or anything. They just sang songs of worship to their God and you blessed them, Lord. You caused the prison to shake that day and you caused the doors to open and you saved some people by the grace of God in Christ. And so again, Father, I thank you for things like PowerPoint. And I also thank you for the days when they fail because they show us that you're all that's truly necessary. And Father, I thank you for the heat as well. I thank you for uh, uh, the need that we have to call upon you and ask for endurance. And I pray in Jesus' name that you would help us to focus and to pay attention. I pray that you would help me to focus my mind up here. And I pray, Father, that all of this now would fade away, and I pray that you would come dead center into our minds, and I pray that you would help us to focus on who you are and what you have to say to us today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Well, I want to begin this morning by encouraging you as a church. I'm sorry to see so many people are gone. It's like half the church isn't here today, but because I wanted to bless the church but maybe God will give me a word to do this again some other time. But I did want to begin by blessing you today because almost five months ago now, we sat at the feet of the author of Hebrews and we did our level best to listen to him as he warned and then rebuked and then encouraged his readers. And surely he did not have us in mind when he was writing exactly, but God Almighty somehow knew that in 2013 that this little church would be going through the letter of Hebrews and so perhaps he did have us in mind and so with that in our minds we did our best to listen to the author as he began to press into some very glorious things at the beginning of Hebrews chapter 5 but you may remember that only 11 verses into the chapter he basically completely stopped the train of thought and he he, he first warned and then rebuked his readers because he was very, very concerned for them. Although he had things to put before them that were in fact glorious in the sight of God and caused the angels of God to bow before him and worship and praise day by day by day, the author was concerned that his readers' hearts had become hard and their ears had become dull so that they would not hear what he had to say. He had a passion to help them see the beauty of what God had done in Christ. And yet, he was afraid that because of their dullness, they would just blow him off for lack of interest or for lack of understanding. And so, he was very concerned. He had better things for them in mind. And so, he began first by warning them. And then in the first part of chapter 6, he issued a very, very strong rebuke and a strong warning against everybody who would reject the grace of God in Christ. And once he had done that, he went on to encourage his readers by saying, though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. So in other words, the author was feeling the need to rebuke his readers and to warn them, to wake them up to the glory of what he was about to say. But he had this strong and deep confidence that God would cause the people to persevere. That God would cause them to wake up and be alert to the things of God. That God would cause them to put aside their internal temptations and their external pressures and focus fully on Jesus until he brought them home. The author's hope was in the strong hand of God, not in the flailing commitments of his readers. And so he wanted to encourage them that he did think good thoughts of them even though he had to warn them. With that... He gave a little introduction at the end of chapter 6, and then in chapter 7, verse 1, all the way to chapter 10, verse 18, he presented one of the thickest theological sections in the whole entire New Testament. It is the only place in the Bible that exalts Jesus Christ to that extent as the great high priest and as the king of kings in fulfillment of Psalm 110, and the things he has shared and we have delighted in over the last five months have been glorious indeed." And now we have come to the end of this section and I wanted to pause here to bless you because as far as I can see, you all have received this five months of teaching with the hearts of people who have a desire for solid food and not just milk. I wish it wasn't so warm in here and we had a little bit more time because I would love to tell you stories that I have received through emails and letters and phone calls and texts and various things of ways that God has used Hebrews 7, 8, 9, and 10 to shape the lives of people in this church. And the reason is because your hearts are open to what God wants to do inside of you. And I just want to bless you. I want to bless you for that. I love you for your love for the word of God. And I mean this. You should take this personally, by the way. Every week, I go out and I ask the Lord, I go for a walk and I pray and I ask him, Lord, how shall I start the sermon? What do you want me to say? And this is what he put on my heart, to bless you, to encourage you, So, beloved, I want to ask you to just fan into flame your passion for the Word of God and don't let anybody talk you out of that passion. I love you for your love for the Word and I thank you so much for listening attentively to five months of sermons in a very difficult section of the New Testament. God bless you for your faithfulness to Him. Now, the author has indeed brought this section to a close in chapter 10, verse 18. And now what he does is he is he offers us in two different sections some practical implications of everything that he has said. The first section is in verses 19 through 25. We'll be looking at that today. The second section is in verses 26 through 39, and Lord willing, we'll be looking at that next week. As for this first section, 19 through 25, I see several things there. I see two foundational truths. I see three practical directives And I see one great hope. So two truths, three directives, one great hope. And they happen to come in just that order, so let's follow the train of thought. I see the two foundational truths in verses 19 through 21, and if you're reading in the ESV, you can pick these out by by noticing the word since. He uses it twice, so let's read those again, 19 through 21. Therefore, brothers and sisters... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened up for us through the curtain, that is through the flesh, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Let me stop there. So again, follow the words since and you'll see two practical foundational truths, the first of which is in verse 19. Namely, we have confidence to enter in to the true holy places of heaven by the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus has become for us the new way to God, the only way to God, and the living way to God. He's the one who was and who is and who is to come, who always will be, and so he is a living and eternal way to God. I told you before several times, when the mediators were flawed... There was no way to get to God. But now, through Jesus Christ, He is not flawed. And so He has become the eternal way to God. The way into the heavenly, holy places is open for us through Jesus Christ. And, beloved, that ought to warm your heart and take your breath away. In that former system, in that earthly temple, there was a, a, a curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies where the manifest presence of God dwelt. But when Jesus Christ died on the cross, do you all remember what happened to that, to that curtain? Do you remember it stood about 40 feet tall? It was thick and it was large. It was beautiful. And when Christ died, that thing ripped from top to the bottom as a symbol from God that the way into his presence had been opened through everyone who believed. Jesus Christ opened the way for us by becoming the way for us, which is why the author says that he is the veil of the temple. In a way, he does stand there blocking the access to God for anyone who will not believe in him. But for those who receive Jesus Christ by faith, he becomes the means of entrance into the very presence of God. And as I said, beloved, this should take our breath away. It should really warm our hearts. You'll remember that under that former system, only the high priest was allowed to go into the place where God manifest his glory. And he was only allowed to go in there once per year. Just think about that. No king, no powerful business person, no nobody was allowed to go into the place where God dwelt except for one person, and he could only go there once per year. But now, through Jesus Christ, the way into the true holy of holy holies, holy of Holies has opened so that we have been granted the right of access into his presence anytime we want to go and from anywhere we presently are. This is an unbelievable privilege, beloved, that God has won for us in Christ. We are now welcome to come and make our home inside the presence of the Lord and not just make a quick visit as the high priest used to do, and this because of what Christ has done for us. Through Christ... We don't just visit a building now and do our business with God, but through Christ, we enter into the presence of God, and there we receive from Him. We learn to love Him. We walk with Him. We talk with Him. We do life with Him until we learn to love Him with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength. Beloved, there's just nothing in life that's more important than this. There's nothing more important. I was thinking just this morning about all of our brothers and sisters around the world right now who are being persecuted for their love for Jesus. Some people, and I could name some names that I I know of and I've been praying of, some people are sitting in jail right now in other parts of the world because of their love for Jesus. Others are being beaten. Others are being tortured. Surely somebody has spilled their blood today because of their love for Jesus Christ. This world can take away all of our possessions. It can take away our freedom. It can take away our physical health. But having taken away everything, guess what? We still have everything. Everything because we have right of access to God, who is everything. There is nothing in this life more important than the fact that you have access to God through faith in Jesus Christ. So be thankful, beloved. Be thankful and love, just love God for what He has done for you in this. The second foundational truth, you'll see it there in verse 21. It's related to this, but it is additional. There the author reminds us that in Christ... We also have a great priest over the house of God. So I wonder if that language is striking any, any chords with you at all. In chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, the author taught us that Moses was not as great as Jesus, Sort of put it in a better way, that Jesus is greater than Moses. He taught us that whereas Moses was a steward in the house of God, that he was a servant in the house of God, that Jesus Christ is the Lord over the house of God as a son. So this means that Moses was a servant in God's house and that Jesus is the owner of that house. It means that Moses served under the authority of God and Jesus rules with the authority of God. So what the author is trying to remind us of is that when we come into the presence of God through Jesus Christ, we have to remember that Jesus Christ has been granted all power in heaven and on earth. And no high priest has ever been like this, ever in the history of the world. There wasn't a single high priest in Israel who had authority over the, the nation of Israel. But Jesus Christ, our high priest, has all authority over the entire kingdom of God. So when we come to him and express our hearts to him, he has the passion and the power to do something about the things that we're praying about. He may not, he often does not give us what we want in the way that we want in the time that we want it, right? He does not do things our way. God has not obligated himself to fulfill our purposes, but as I put on my Facebook post yesterday, we will always get what we want in prayer when Jesus Christ himself is what we want, When we want Him and His glory and His purposes in our lives, He will always say yes and He has all power to do it. He is our priest through whom we enter into the presence of God and He is our great King. He is the one who has all authority over the house of God. And beloved, He is for us. He's for us. It's this great power and this great grace that gives us the great confidence that the author talks about in in verse 19. So now, on the foundation of that truth, the author gives us three practical things to do in verses 22 through 25. He teaches us a little bit about what it means to come into the presence of God. So I know that some of us probably are thinking that, yes, I believe we have right of access to God through Christ, but I don't know what that means in daily life. Like how does that work? How do I do that? How do how do I come into God's presence? Well, the author gives us three clues as to how that works. So first, look with me at verse 22. He says there let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Will you please turn back to chapter 4, verse 16? Chapter 4, verse 16, the author says something very similar there, and I think that he wants us to to connect these things. They're like two sides of a bridge, and everything in between is related. So chapter 4, verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help to help in time of need, or as I told you when we were there, that more literally says that we receive mercy, grace, and well-timed help, help from the throne when we really need it. So now then, at the beginning of chapter 5, all the way to the end of, or or the middle of chapter 10, the author has taught us about the basis upon which we are, are granted the rights of coming into the presence of God, And now having done that, he brings us back to this saying and says in chapter 10, verse 19, listen, if you want to dwell in the presence of God and behold the glory of God in this life, then you must make every effort by his grace to draw near to him day by day. The Father will help you. He will give you power. He will give you grace. But you will only reap what you sow. And so, if you sow the right seeds, you will reap the right harvest in due time. So, draw near to him, draw near to him, draw near to him. And I'll tell you, beloved, as you grow in your practice of this, you will move more and more from being a person who just knows things about Jesus to being a person who actually tastes the sweetness of the presence of Jesus daily in your life. This week I was listening to some things about Jonathan Edwards because I'm taking a class on him in the fall. And I was reminded of an illustration that he used where he he just said that it's one thing to hear that honey is sweet. It's one thing to be told all the intricacies of why honey is sweet. But it is a completely different thing to take some honey in a spoon and stick it in your mouth and taste and see that honey is sweet. And it's good for the body and joy-producing for the soul. And the same thing is true of God. You could hear sermons your whole life and learn lots of facts about Jesus But it's in the presence of Christ that you actually taste the sweetness of Jesus. And that's what the author is saying to do. If you want to take advantage of your right of access to Him, then draw near to Him day by day. Open up your Bible. Read the Word of God until you understand something. And then talk to God about what you see. Draw near to God and express all of your heart to Him. Tell Him about everything that's on your mind. Tell Him about your likes. Tell Him about your dislikes. Tell Him about your wants. Tell Him about your needs. Tell Him about the things that you desire and the things that you despise. Tell Him about what you think about what you're eating for dinner and what you're feeling as you ride your bike. Do do everything to the glory of God and pray at all times. Paul said pray without ceasing. Just talk to your Father, beloved. Draw near to Him moment by moment, day by day, hour by hour. And as you do, I think that you're going to see that the truths we've been learning in chapters 5 through 11 are not just meant to inform our minds, but they're meant to fire up our hearts. The more you come into the presence of Jesus, you taste the sweetness of the truth of Jesus and his promise has become all the more precious to you. Oh, beloved, it's better to taste and see that honey is sweet than to hear somebody tell you that it's sweet. So I want to bid you first, and the author wants to bid you first to come, draw near to Christ and taste him, see, see how sweet he is day by day by day by day. The second practical directive is in verse 23. If you look there, he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, For he who promised is faithful. And all I want to say about this is that I think the author is now encouraging his readers to cling to Christ amidst the storms of life. So you'll remember that the first people that received the letter to the Hebrews were being tempted to leave Christ and to go back to a former system of sacrifices that was nothing more than a shadow. And this temptation was very fierce. And what he's saying is don't leave Christ, but cling to Christ. So draw near to him day by day. Let him fill you up with the goodness of his grace. Let him allow you to taste the sweetness of his presence and then cling to him with both of your arms and with all of your strength and do not let go. It doesn't matter what this world does to you. It doesn't matter what they take from you. It doesn't matter what they make you suffer. Cling to Christ and do not let go. It does not matter if your family turns their backs on you. Cling to Christ and do not let go. He will take care of all of that. And your power to cling to Him is not in the strength of your arms. Your power to cling is in Him. Look there in verse 23. He who promised is faithful. That means that God is going to do everything He said He's going to do, beloved. He brought us to himself and he's going to lead us home. He has offered up himself and he is the anchor in every storm. So cling to Christ. As you face internal temptations and external pressures from day to day, do not loosen your grip. Let the Lord teach you how to be faithful to the one who has been so faithful to you. First thing. Draw near to Christ day by day by day. You have the right of access by faith in Jesus to come into the presence of God. It's a simple thing. Draw near to Him, open up your Bible, talk to your Father. It's simple. It's really not rocket science. Just come to Him. As you come, cling to Him. And now we see number three in verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. The Greek word here for consider at the beginning of verse 24 is a pretty strong one, and it more literally means to examine something carefully or to pay very close attention. So he is saying, let us carefully, carefully consider how to stir one another up. He's not asking us to think about others when we have some extra time and we're in the right mood. He's asking us to make a life of turning our thought toward other people and saying, what can I do to cause them to walk in love for Jesus and in love for others all the more? Is there anything I can do this day to encourage one person to love Christ all the more? He's asking you to pray about it, meditate on it, consider it, think about it. Give your thought life, give your heart to stirring other people up. And to make the case even stronger, the one Greek word for our two words, stir up, is also a very strong word. It more literally means to provoke somebody or incite somebody. It means to encourage them so that they end up uh, doing something that you have on, on your heart for them to do. Or at times it can even be translated to irritate somebody. So you can see that that this is a strong word. He's telling you to irritate people for Jesus. He's telling you, spend your time thinking about how can I provoke people to care less about the things of this world and more about the things of Christ. How can I provoke people to love Jesus more than they love anything else in life? How can I exhort people? How can I encourage people? Believe me, beloved, if you will begin to live a life where you turn your heart and your mind and your eyes toward others and think more about encouraging them than being encouraged, I promise you God will give you all the encouragement that you need. Come to church not thinking about what you can get out of it, Come to church thinking about how you can exhort one another because this is a vital part of what it means to get into the presence of God and stay in the presence of God. Beloved, the author is telling us that we desperately need one another in order to draw near to God. That's what he's teaching us. And I know that in part from where he goes next because the next thing he says immediately is, beloved, do not neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. We are not designed to grow in Christ outside the context of the body of Christ. We have been brought to faith in Christ in order to be united with other believers and especially with people in the particular church that God has given us to come to. He's called us to do life with one another and to endure with one another until the very end. This is his plan in Christ Jesus. He doesn't want us to just have a me and Jesus relationship. He wants us to have a Jesus and us relationship. He wants us to come to Christ together. He wants us to do life with one another and provoke one another. So if you want to live your life in the presence of Christ, three things. Draw near to him day by day by day. Don't make it complicated. Just bring a Bible, open it up, and talk to your Father. It is not complicated. Second thing, as you grow in love for Christ, grow in your passion to cling to Christ and don't fear anybody but Jesus. And then finally, meet with one another. Be with one another. Do life with one another. Pursue one another. Provoke one another. Irritate one another in Jesus' name. Cause one another to want to love Christ more and to love others more. This is the Word of God to us today, beloved. This is part of the practical sense of what it means to dwell in the presence of God draw near, hold fast, and stir up one another. Finally, this leads us at the end of verse 25 to one great hope that I see. The author mentions it almost in passing, and I just want to sort of wave a flag for you. We've got, I don't know, let's see, 11, 12, 13. We've got three more chapters to go in Hebrews, and I just want to encourage you to pay careful attention. As you're reading this letter, because he does this all the time. He drops in these little sentences that just seem to be throwaway sentences, but they have as much power as a nuclear bomb in them. He just kind of throws it out there. Oh, and by the way, do all this all the more as you see the day approaching. What day is he talking about? He's talking about the day when Jesus Christ returns again, and as believers, we are gathered together from every tribe and tongue and nation and see our Father face to face. He's talking about the day when He will cause the dead to rise and He will judge some to eternal judgment and He will bless some who have believed in Him to eternal life and He will bring us to be home with Him forever and ever. And I want to tell you, beloved, that the second coming of Christ is just as certain as the first coming of Christ because He who promised is faithful. Every single prophecy and promise about the first coming of Jesus came true about 2,000 years ago. And it might seem like God has waited a very long time to let the second coming of Christ come about, but believe me, he will not be early, he will not be late, but when the moment is exactly right, Jesus Christ will be revealed. That day is coming. The day is coming when we will see him face to face and the suffering of this life will be over and we will go to be with him. So we should be thinking about life in the church in light of that great hope. We should be thinking about like letting go of all the petty things that we hold against each other. Just let it go. There are bigger things, more glorious things, more beautiful things that we ought to stir one another up in light of. So again, I say three simple things today. Make a life of drawing near to Christ. Make a life of clinging to Christ. And make a life of stirring one another up to love and good deeds because your Lord, your Savior, Your great priest, your high king, he is coming again. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the author of Hebrews and I thank you for your faithfulness to him and giving him words to write. I thank you for preserving his great letter all these years and for giving us the privilege of sitting in his feet one more time today. And Lord, though it's hot and it's difficult in our flesh to pay attention, I pray that by the Holy Spirit you would cause the power of the Word of God to seep into our hearts. Lord, my main prayer today is that we would be doers of this Word. I pray that each one of us would learn to draw near to you day by day. I pray that each one of us would cling to you with all of our might out of love for you. And I pray that each one of us would make a priority of doing life together and provoking one another to love and good deeds. Father, demonstrate your power in the church by making your word come true now, I pray. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.